Project Sapient is a podcast meant to engage our brothers and sisters in law enforcement and military communities in conversations that we all know we need to have. All opinions you'll hear are our own, are protected by our First Amendment of the United States Constitution, and in no way reflect or are meant to reflect the opinion of any specific agency, officer, or service member. Some opinions may be controversial. Listener discretion is advised. Enjoy. How are you? Why do you say my name with such anger? It's not anger, it's love. Uh-huh. You should appreciate the love that I'm giving you, asshole. Uh, see what I mean? The anger. <laughs> the anger is there. <laughs> Guys, Project Sapien, we want to say thank you to our supporters for making us number one military and law enforcement podcast on the planet. Check out projectsapien.org. We want to say thank you to our supporters and the people like the Valhalla Project. Hell yeah, buddy. Who are new supporters. DCD Automotive, AAA Police Supply, Havoc Journal, our partners at the Weekly Havoc Podcast, Second Mission, Live Boston, OD Kit, Eagle Eye Firearms, Gun Track, Fit Cops, 22 Mohawks, and Joint Operation. Thank you again for making us the number one military and law enforcement podcast on the planet, guys. So, Iman has a little bit of an intro. What do, what do well, you want to well, do? First, first, uh, we got to update them on the numbers. We were just shocked. 20,000 downloads. Yeah, yeah, listeners. It's in, it's insane. And just this month alone, just it's skyrocketing. Right. All over the world, too, I love man. It. Love it. I don't know what we're doing. But we're not whatever. we're not making money off this oh, stuff. Hell so. no. <laughs> we're just we're just going back and forth and whatever. God, dude. But yes, so I do want so, to do a quick uh yeah. another uh, airborne for vets update. Uh, Operation Airborne for Vets. It is just a couple weeks away, everybody. Uh, we're still taking donations to sponsor veterans for this jump. And on top of that, actually, I'm very excited to say that Samantha from uh, CSRT yeah. is coming down. The Samantha she, that we had on the show? Yeah, the Samantha we had on the show. She is coming down to actually do a really, really cool thing uh, that the both of us, um, you know, we, we kind of went back and forth on how we want to, how, how I'm going to include her in in this in this um uh jump and what she's gonna do wait she's gonna jump no 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 no. (laughs) so so she uh, we know that she does a lot with the veteran community as a whole just with psychotherapy and as well uh powerlifting she's also a powerlifter so she can bench us and throw us across the uh the world but she's also an incredible like incredibly nice person oh yeah yeah no 100 percent incredibly nice and so the thing with her part, what it's going to be is it's going to, we're going to do some uh, kind of Q&A sessions with her about PTSD, trauma, uh, TBI uh, in the veteran community. She's going to kind of give pointers to people, stuff to look out for. Awesome. Uh, you know, just just info as yeah. a whole. It's going to be like for a couple days. Um, and she's doing this on her own dime also so she's always been awesome like any anything we've ever needed or help or anything like that but yeah. she's doing this on her own dime for, for us man wow absolutely Thank you, so so yeah so that was just a quick update so we're a couple of weeks away we do oh t-shirts did come in yeah so i'm gonna start mailing those out to those who have already contributed and uh and yeah we're still taking uh donations in to sponsor veterans for this jump and uh it's gonna be a really really awesome event it's blowing up radio shows down in florida want us on the show now and, cool. and they want more information about it so it's, it's really cool and the biggest one was till valhalla got, Til valhalla. Wind, of, got wind of it and now we're um project sapien 22 mohawks and till valhalla are gonna meet 
before the jump and talk more about uh, partnership and other things that we Dude. might be coming down the line with. So it's, it's awesome stuff for both law enforcement and military uh, veterans that, uh, that relate to PTSD and suicide awareness and, and stuff like that. So this is God's work, man. Dude, that, it, it, it's funny. I was just saying like this idea just came from me after a bottle of whiskey and just like, Hey, yeah. let's go jump out of planes. Yeah. Psychopath. But some, yeah, some of my best ideas are that <laughs> way. So I'm, I'm the guy like hold my beer. <laughs> Well, anyways, so we have two very extraordinary gentlemen on the phone or on yeah. Zoom right yes. now. I'm going to I'm going to open up their audio. Yeah. They've probably been swearing up a storm like we can't believe we're on this guy's show <laughs> right now. I know, right? Gentlemen. Yes, gentlemen. sir. So we have Rob Patton and Bob Patton and I want you guys to really think about that last name. It's very familiar. Said. It's 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 not it's not resonating with me. What's the name? I believe uh, Patton was the name, uh, the last name of Barney the Dinosaur. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he just hung up. <laughs> he just hung up. Hell no. I want, I want, I want more podcasts. Are you kidding me? This is what we need. So, so, yeah, obviously, General Patton's family yeah. on the show with us. I'm very, very excited. And what an honor. Of, and a lot of uh, fellow uh, officers who are military that know, you know, that, that just, you know, we all know General Patton just from everything about him. Right. Um, and, and I'm very excited to have been connected by a um, mutual friend that, that works uh, for them. Uh, Corey, uh, d you know, just said, hey, do you want the patents on? I was like, uh, yeah. yeah. No, no. <laughs> yeah, of course I do. So uh, so it's a, it's a true honor uh, to have, uh, you know, family of General, General George Patton on and to... Oh, it's an honor to be on with you guys. 20,000 listeners. Let's celebrate that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I mean, again, it just, it just happened to be that way, I guess. And, uh, and it just, whatever. <laughs> I honestly don't know how people haven't like sectioned us because of how stupid and, and retarded we are. Oh, no, no, no. I think what it is, the BPN shows us in the Czech Republic. So they oh! we are. <laughs> hey, they love Americans in Czech Republic. Hey, there you go. I guarantee you that. I hear the Ukraine's not loving the Americans right now. <laughs> uh, I mean, uh, what? what? Uh, we'll get into that later. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so the reason why I wanted to uh, bring you guys on is not only, uh, obviously, uh, family and, and General Patton, but the important mission that you guys are doing for the veteran community that really stood out for me as, as, as a combat veteran. And obviously Pete, uh, being a police officer, uh, we're both police officers and the rampant, uh, issues of PTSD trauma in the law enforcement community. And yeah. here's, uh, I'll give you guys a quick statistic that just got put out by the MPTC. I saw it was a, a post. It says an average American, uh, would an average American witnesses one to two traumatic events in their entire lifetime. A police officer in a 20 year career sees over 800. Now yeah, imagine, that makes imagine, sense. imagine the amount, uh, all that, because that's, I mean, uh, sometimes people don't realize why soldiers, why veterans, why cops have such a dark sense of humor. That's our outlet. Yeah, I mean, just today, the other day we were talking about how uh, uh, this this uh, poor lady uh, pancaked herself under an 18-wheeler, and it was like also, uh, like, th the jokes would come out because that's the way we deal with trauma, right? I mean, how many times do, you, do people really see it? Like, in our profession, that's like a monthly occurrence, daily occurrence right. to see that kind of thing. So, and we just kind of push it off, you know, because we have a job to do, and that's the job we need to do. So... With well, I think it's I think it's interesting because I think that when 
people in law enforcement or in the military, all aspects of the military, all branches that come across sites like that, as you say, much more than folks like I and Rob might, um, that gives you in a sense of credibility to have a little bit of a, humor is the right word, but some kind of a way to keep it at a distance with a little bit of, 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 of that, that black humor, a way to sort of make it just a little bit um, kind of processable. You yeah. know, I know ER docs have the same thing, you know, they, they see a lot and they have that same kind of a, an, an ability or necessity to kind of keep it at arm's length and deal with it. But I, I, I hate it when people that don't have that credibility have that same kind of flippancy, you know, yeah, it kind of yeah. offends me, you know, yeah, yeah. that's why, you know, I have sort of a default uh, ironic pose sometimes too, that we all have, Oh, that, that was a shitty experience. Oh yeah. But it was funny. You know, yeah, but yeah, right. sometimes it, you got to earn that a little bit, you know? So I stand back and say, there are folks that have earned that right. And there are folks that, that talk it. And yeah. so uh, that's yeah. off to, to you. It's nothing to maybe glorify, but it's something that I really respect that you have to deal with what you see and have seen uh, in ways that the rest of us don't. Oh yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll never forget like, you know, out in Iraq uh, when, when one of uh, my, uh, one of our squad mates got blown up by an IED, you know, I, I wear his, uh, his uh, band right here, you know, Sergeant Allers. Uh, I remember one of our, our, my squad mates uh, picked up his toe and we both sort of laughed like, oh shit, yeah. is that his toe? And, yeah. we, and it was a kind of, we weren't laughing at the fact that, hey, you know. He's we, dead. He's dead and all that. But it was just like one of those moments where we're like, oh shit, we found a toe. Like, it, you know, like it, 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 we, we laughed about it, but, but you know, obviously it was an extremely traumatic event to have his body, to pick up his body parts all over the battlefield because that's what we were doing. I'll never forget picking up his thigh in newspaper, I found a newspaper. Uh, I was able to find newspaper uh, stuff in our gun truck, and that's the way I picked up his thigh. I wrapped it around, and I remember my uh, my buddy who, who passed away of, of, of suicide, unfortunately, Sergeant Carr. Um, he uh, he no, well, it was a motorcycle accident, but I feel that there, it was something more than that. But uh, I remember he was dry heaving because of the smell and all that, and I had to you know take take his body parts to a cooler that was right next to me the entire ride back to, to base. And, uh, and, yeah. but again, that, that goes back to the trauma that, that we face and how we deal with it as warriors of, of, you know, of, of, uh, of America and how people don't really understand that you always hear, we, 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 uh, you know, uh, support our troops, which, you know, grateful that you support our, our troops and everything. And that's why sometimes I make the joke, Oh, you know, Thank you for my service, type of thing, <laughs> you know. And uh, yeah, but you walk around and you tell that to everybody. I do. Like the lady at Dunkin' Donuts is like, "Okay, here he comes yeah. again." Okay, <laughs> I, I, I get my coffee. And I said, "All right, thank you for my service." And I just walk out. I mean, that's that's just the way I am. But uh, but in reality, though, with with what you guys are doing, uh, which is incredible at at uh, Green Meadows. So if one of you want to take the floor, let us know how you guys started and, and the mission and, and all of that. So the floor is yours, gentlemen. Rob, you want me to give this, the backstory a minute? Um, and I'll, I'll, I, I defer to age. <laughs> <laughs> it is true. It is true. Um, at any rate, no, listen, first of all, guys, thanks for having us. Um, what you're doing with your listeners and with all the other curricular, extracurricular activities you're doing for the community and law enforcement and for soldiers. My God, this woman you spoke of in your intro, what is she, uh, a power lifter, a great person? Um, uh, and it, is she airborne too? Is she jumping out of the plane? I didn't, I'm not sure if I No, that, no, but, no, no, she's not. <laughs> but at any rate, no, but what you guys do, it, it, it's, it's grassroots work on behalf of all of us. And, you know, I won't bore you with praise and thanks, but that's how we feel. I want you to know that. 
Um, but at any rate, about the patent family and cannabis, which is what we're talking about sort of today and PTSD and what we're trying to do for vets and, you know, also for law enforcement, uh, because certainly they fall in the same category of, as you just mentioned, moments of trauma, moments of, um, you know, really indelible shock uh, that would that would put most of us, you know, in our in hiding under our blankets. You guys see this um, much more regularly and soldiers see it much more regularly than those of us, fortunately, in the in the, you know, the regular world, whatever that means, uh, do. But anyway, about us. Uh, um, my father uh, was also, you know, my grandfather, as you mentioned, was the famous World War II general. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, General George Patton, old blood and guts, all of that stuff. He was a real complicated figure, much more complicated, I think, than, than people realize in the sense that, you know, he, he came from a background which was quite unlike that kind of George C. Scott swaggering figure. He became that because that was his particular style of leadership. He said, this will work for me. I can make this work. And it was really a, a kind of a construction that he put together brick by brick. Um, but Anyway, he again was was obviously a, a well-known uh, soldier. My father did 34 years uh, in the military, uh, retired as a major general um, in 1980. He did uh, one tour in Korea. In fact, he was missing in action when my older sister was born. Um, and uh, then he did three tours in Vietnam. Uh, the last one, 68-69, uh, being a uh, particularly heavy. He was a, a colonel at that time. He was an Air Cavalry Regiment commander. Um, and just as you spoke about, he could refer and reflect on experiences there with, uh, with humor, certainly with, with warmth for the, the, the men that he, that he led. Uh, but he became a farmer after he retired, and he named his fields uh, and parts of the fields after men who had died under his command. Wow, that's so amazing. Again, he, he carried that with him yeah. at the same time. And that's very much, and I'm no expert in it, and I defer to others, but that idea of whatever PTSD is, you know, he, he dealt with it. He lived a, certainly a full life afterward, but then you would be with him and the moments would come, you know, and he just would, again, and it was just embodied an idea when he'd go out and farm his fields and there'd be a sign that he had made himself, uh, you know, Corporal Yano killed in action uh, at such and such a date. And, uh, you know, and he wrote, you know, 86 men died under his command between 68, 69 in the regiment. And so I, I swear he could have named all of them. Uh, certainly he, you know, he stayed in touch with many of the families afterward. But to carry it forward into what we did after he retired, he became a farmer up in some land that his his father, the famous general, had bought in the 1920s. My dad wasn't the type to just kind of retire and put his feet up. So he just was, you know, he was up at 530 and just wanted to be a farmer. So it was, you know, it was Carhartt jacket and John Deere cap. <laughs> and he was out there doing it yeah. on the tractor. And um, he also became very um, enamored with um, green sensibilities, with the idea of sustainable agriculture and organics. So he was kind of for this kind of conservative cranky old you know pretty right-wing guy he just said you know this is this is real to me i think we can actually do better by the land and by you know by people by uh, by growing with with organics in mind and and all along what he was doing both in his employer and supporting uh, the, the culture around him, the, the local communities. He was, uh, you know, a very charitable guy as well. But he passed away in 04. He got Parkinson's, um, and um, it was a very unfortunate long end for him. And, and it was just the opposite of what he would have wanted. He was a, a man of action, to use that old cliche. But my mother carried it on. It became Green Meadows Farm up north of Boston, farm stand on a country road. They had the, the organics. It was a, a con- community-supported agriculture, a CSA, one of these collectives that they had. But in 2017, she'd been running it uh, uh, since the years that he had passed, and she was then pushing near 90, and she called to me as sort of the, uh, I'm not the oldest of the siblings, but I'm sort of the one that kind of 
things fall to and said, Bob, you know, I don't think I can carry forward the farm and, you know, I, I don't live near there. And so could I do it? Not really. So what we were going to do as a family and my younger brother and younger sister who work with veterans, uh, both she lives in Europe and she works primarily with greatest generation veterans and their families that come to tour the, the battlefields and, and, uh, in Europe. My younger brother uh, formed something called Patent Veterans Project, which deals specifically with PTSD and, you know, soldiers uh, post-deployment uh, and often uh, have, have been discharged from the military, different branches, men and women that are having trouble with social isolation and reaching out um, and some substance abuse and all those things that, that we know can happen. And so this became very much a part of what his foundation was doing. So they mentioned to me, you know, we, we don't want to run the farm that we had been doing with just traditional produce. What about cannabis? Medical cannabis. And I said, you know, I, I just can't see the patent family for whatever reason. I just thought we'd get so much flack. We're not, not going to go into cannabis. I was for legalization only for the point of view that while there are many dangers, youth, mental illness, we got to keep it away from so many people. But the drug wars, as they've been fought over the last many decades, have not done the trick, at least with marijuana. Right. We know that it's just and you're in law enforcement. So, you know, I'm sure the hours and wheel spinning that you do with with marijuana bus rather than what you really know is out there is really, you know, hurting society. Yeah which you'd rather much i won't speak for you but i imagine it's something that you that you see every day that this is something we don't need to have on the front burner you're 100 um, so percent right so at any rate i said all right let's let's look into cannabis uh can we do this and i have um four sons uh, two stepsons but they've been stuck with me for 35 years so they have a different <laughs> last name but they're they're as much my sons as rob is um and uh we, we they're in business and we we hadn't done cannabis i said can we do this can we mount this in massachusetts and carry forward the values that my my father and mother had of organics try to be a good uh, neighborhood a good business partner a good community resource for good initiatives whether for veteran organizations or anything else can we take it into cannabis and naively i mean i always joke i have white hair and my hair was brown when i started <laughs> four years ago you know <laughs> it's a it's it's a hard project i mean i won't complain it's like the corleones it's the business we chose so we yeah. can't bitch about it you <laughs> yeah, know yeah, yeah. Um, but but nevertheless it is hard uh, but we got into it and we got knocked around in our hometown and it wasn't welcome there it was a sort of a white collar uh, a bedroom community of boston and they just didn't really want cannabis in their community again this goes back to 17 they made 2017 they may feel differently now uh but at any rate we cast about for a community that would welcome us. We came onto Southbridge, uh, which is uh, uh, in South Central Massachusetts, um, uh, just north of the Connecticut border near Sturbridge off 84. It's a city that lost its manufacturing base uh, and was really looking for a new industry to come in, hire uh, local and use local vendors and, and be just a great business partner. So they rolled out the red carpet. For us, we were really appreciative, and lo and behold, some years later now, we have a active uh, cannabis dispensary, both medical and adult use license. We uh, grow organically at the same location. We have a 30,000 square foot grow facility. We process as well, uh, manufacture. We wholesale in other products that people want, but we also make our own, which is organic start to finish. And it sort of represents the values of my father and even my grandfather. No, specifically marijuana, who can say? Obviously, they would have been against it. They were from a different era. <laughs> right, yeah. but, but but if it but if it circled back to, to benefit community, benefit soldiers, um, I think they would have uh, understood understood that it's something worth doing and, and i really do feel that we can back it up that and rob can go into this the kind of things that we have done for the community hiring local vendors charitable support um and and then just going around and, and speaking and learning from veterans that can teach us uh about what maybe we can do with cannabis uh uh to perhaps help as uh, either with some of the um 
issues of isolation and anxiety and insomnia and of course long-term pain management we know opioids are deadly and murderous oh my God, and yeah. if, if there's anything better than that let's let's give it a shot so um that's where we are right now um we have one active dispensary in massachusetts we're building a second um and we really are trying to do cannabis right you know we want to make money sure we want to do well but we want to do good as well and so uh i, I I'm, I'm proud to be here uh, talking to you guys about it uh I, I let me say also i'm not a veteran myself and nor is rob and i stolen honor i would never ever want to have anything to do with we honor those that served our country um but it's in our dna certainly and we're here to help and sure. do what we can as we can so that's that's how how we got involved in it and um uh we got the initial notion around a kitchen table and the near the end of 2017 and here it is five years later and we're up and running and um and doing our thing so the, i mean obviously you guys are doing something extraordinary right and i was just thinking with everything that you were saying how far the cannabis industry has come yeah. from you know back in the day when it was the devil's lettuce yeah type of you know it was yeah, so you, taboo yeah. Um, it's come to be such a, a, a positive influence in society, yeah. right? Five or six years ago, I wasn't the cop that cared that much about marijuana, yeah, I but I would have never said to myself, I want to try it, or maybe it'll help me, or maybe, you know, I was never that type. But through the years of people like these guys that we have talking to, getting out there and educating the public and showing the benefits of everything that it's doing, yeah. I, I think state governments and the federal government should be getting behind this. And that's the problem that we have now. The federal yeah, government is yeah. still illegal. And that's why well, I can't take any. Well, that's why, because there's 70, 90, a hundred year old guys that are still thinking it's reefer madness right. in the twenties. Yeah. <laughs> the, the demons are going to come yeah, out of you when yeah, you, when you yeah. smoke, even though yeah. they see all the science and all yeah. that stuff. Yeah. So my question is you guys, you started this dispensary, what five years ago? Awesome. And it's, Oop. and it, you guys back. Yeah, no, we had a we had a little wrinkle there, but yeah, happy That's to okay. see you again. All, <laughs> All right. right. So my question is, you guys, you started it in Southbridge, Mass, and you're you're creating a second location. Um, I don't want to like I have a little bit of information in front of me. If you guys want to go out, go ahead and, and tell us what you're doing with veterans and you know your staff and the discounts and all sure. that stuff. Go right ahead. Rob, take it. Yeah, no, of course. So. Um, so yeah, no, the the actually, I'll I'll go back a little bit to what. Um, I call him Bob when we're in the office, so I'm going to say Bob, but I'll probably mix it up and say Dad from time to time. Too. <laughs> uh, but what, what he was just saying about, you know, stolen honor, stolen valor is never something we want to misrepresent, right? So I'm not a veteran myself. Bob's not a veteran. Uh, and But it's always been something that's been ingrained in us as a family, of course, and it really hit me hardest uh, at my grandfather's funeral at Na uh, Arlington National Cemetery. And seeing, to me, you know, I was 18 years old at the time. He was always just grandpa, right? And that was, we went fishing and rode around the golf cart and rode around the farm and all that. Went to Arlington and I saw the other side of his life, right? The much more important side of his life in many ways to even him, right? And, and not to say that, you know, he didn't love the, his family and all that, but that to me is where it all became kind of real. And, and that's kind of what we're carrying through now, understanding the importance um, of cannabis as a benefit to the veteran community in particular. So with veterans at Green Meadows, um, you know, the, the first thing that we, we offer is employment, right? So we, we put the word out that the Patton family was starting a cannabis company in Massachusetts. And uh, we had a goal when we started out of 7% of our staff uh, would be veterans. Um, and so happy to say today that right now, 15% of our 85 person staff are veterans today. Wow. Um, and, and so, yeah, so that's, that's, and we're always, and not for nothing, right? Veterans are some of the best employees that you can get, right? They're responsible, accountable, they're diligent, they're hardworking, they bust their ass day in, day out. Um, so they know how to lead. 
they yeah. know how to lead. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So um, that that was you know the, the first thing that we wanted to do was make sure that we could employ in this kind of blue collar town where we are today. Um, veterans first and foremost, and that's something we'll always look to, to 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 do as an organization, whether we're in Massachusetts or Connecticut or wherever else down the road. See that that's uh, uh, real quick. I just uh, sorry to cut you up, but I just want to make sure people realize again. Now this is another uh, company, another uh, uh, business that realized the use veterans have in their in their business, essentially, uh, whether it be cannabis or, or sales or whatever, where we've talked to numerous people who, who hire veterans and they, they say the same exact thing. Right. They're like, they're focused, they're mission, mission uh, ready, they lead, they are innovative. Uh, and, and I think that's something that most employers uh, who don't employ enough veterans don't realize that you know, you, you have a you have a certain uh, class of people, which I call, you know, the warrior class of people who come back from war or, or, or retire from law enforcement, whatever, um, that have this untapped skill where we can think, you know, we can think on our feet, you know, make last second decisions right away. Like, you know, for us, it's snap of a finger because we have to do it on a daily basis. Where if I'm doing a room entry, I'm going to go left or right. Well, I'll, I'll just go left. Like, you know, it just, it's, it's yeah. part of the, 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 the culture of, of, mm -hmm. of the warrior class. So, but I just wanted to point that out. So yeah, continue, Rob, sorry to cut no, you off. No, no, hundred percent. I mean, the ability to take a calculated risk in an instant, right? Like yeah. that, that is something that a veteran can do, you know, head and shoulders above anyone else, right? Yeah. So, and not for nothing too. The other thing is, is throughout the organization, I think most people associate veterans and even law enforcement with, you know, jobs future in their career being security, right? That's what everyone thinks is I'll, I'll get a security job, right? Yeah. And yes, there are folks on our security staff that are veterans and, and we love them dearly. But we've got biochemical engineers in our grow facility, right? We've got folks on uh, on the retail st staff, on the back of the house inventory staff. So it's all over the organization that veterans and, and that kind of mentality and, and personality flows within the entire company. Well, that's I mean, it goes back to what you were saying too with that warrior mentality. The warriors, the warrior mentality enables the hybrid wolves that we yep. always talk about to wear as many hats as possible yeah. because operationally you're wearing 10 different hats. That's just you're not just a shooter. You're not just a breacher. You're not just a, you know what I mean? Even in the army, so, you're not, you're not just exactly. a field artillery, not just infantry. You, you wear multiple hats in your own unit. You're, you have to be like a MacGyver yeah. all the time. Right. Yeah. And that translates to when you come back or yeah. when you're leaving law enforcement or anything like that, mm -hmm. and you're doing these jobs, you're taking a pride in what you're doing. Oh Yeah. And be pride in yourself because you know you're capable. So like yeah. they said, it's not, they have yeah. salespeople, they have security, they have bioengineers. Like yeah. it's crazy. Yeah. I mean, it's awesome. No, it's, yeah. My it's dad, awesome. my dad used to say, guys, you know, he's, he would, and I bet it's true of law enforcement as well, but he would speak of that military mindset. And he said, it's collaborative in the sense that, you know, you, as a group, you got to do things sometimes on time, you know, in sync and you got to go. But within that context of collaboration, there's initiative. You have to have initial uh, individual initiative and individual courage to make, you know, decisions and to move forward sometimes on your own within this context of collaboration. That's really unusual to get the combo, you know, and I think that um, he would speak of that as you, you need guys that that will think on their feet, can move forward, and yet always in the context of the collaboration of this force. Uh, what is the mission? Do, what do we do together? Are we all covering our particular, you know, corner of uh, of, of the work of the workspace? You know, yeah. so that was always the hybrid that he that he really sort of extolled that initiative 
initiative on the individual side combined with collaboration and mission. And, and I think that's really rare to find. And I think the military, and again, I won't speak for you, but I have to believe law enforcement has very much the same kind of well, structure and expectation. Exactly. I mean, you know, I was just telling Pete, Pete is a uh, you know, prior special officer over at his police department. And I'm, I'm currently on a, on a SWAT team. I've been on since 2013. And, and, you know, we were just talking about, uh, I won't give out too much info because just OPSEC wise, but we had this massive, uh, you know, mock operation of assaulting an entire building, essentially, uh, where it was like a counterterrorism, hostages, whole nine yards. We needed to go in there and go. It was massive. You know, this building was massive. And you're talking close to lots and lots of SWAT officers uh, involved in this. And Again, like you said, it's that each individual initiative that needs to get that done and to execute their specific mission flawlessly in order to save those lives or do, you know, get the mission done the right way and all that. And that's what law enforcement, military members bring to the private sector is to be able to say, hey, you know, I mean, I need I need this to be sold. All right, Roger that. I'll, do, I'll take care of it right now. And boom, it's gone, you know, or, or on a different, you know, project, you're working on some sort of project and you have a timeline, a veteran is uh, leading that project. He'll get you, he or she will even probably beat that timeline because nine times out of 10, I, I personally don't like timelines. I'm just like, yeah, it's going to get done today. I, you, you don't even have to worry about it in a week. So that's just the, by nature for us, we, we like to uh, excel in every single little thing we do because that's just the way the culture uh, the warrior culture is. And you don't, and, yeah. and, and, and as in the warrior culture, you don't mind being a part of the wheel, a no. part of the big picture. No. You don't, you, you don't mind being a leader in that wheel. No. But the one thing that I've noticed is nobody cares about being the boss. No, no one does. And that's where there's a big cutoff with a lot of things in civilian life. Like everybody wants to be the boss. Nobody wants to do the work. The The hybrid wolves don't mind doing the work, no. being a part of that wheel because they know that wheel will fall apart without them. Yeah. Yeah. And they can yeah. lead 30 people without even ever be call, being called that, boss. That's why I always say uh, leadership doesn't mean stripes or, or bars or exactly. anything like that, you know, in, in the military or law enforcement. You, you can find leaders just within the squad, you know. And just, right. And, and same thing in a cannabis company. Honestly, we look for opinions and, and you know, just reasonable assertions of how we're going to execute from all areas of the business, right? And yeah, usually it's the veterans that are leading the way on that front. Yeah. Um, and I honestly, I would love, you know, we'll, we'll have to set it up. I'd love to get you guys here and actually see how this place is run. And, and you know, I bet you would notice and, and actually take note of, okay, this is, this, there's a, there's a veteran influence running. Oh, I would, I would, right I would love to come down and, and check out no. your facility. No, don't, don't let him come. <laughs> don't <laughs> <put the> fellow <laughs> veterans. He'll be smoking everything in the back. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, well, because partly what Rob was saying, because within, the cannabis industry, particularly, you know, what, what to, to its to its great credit, it's hyper and properly regulated, well, right? Yeah, Both on, on on the monetary side and on the product side, yeah, right. Is. So th you cannot screw up in any way. You have so much to lose as a business uh, that you you know you you just you can't screw, and that has to permeate the whole organization, just as in the organizations that we've been speaking of, law enforcement and the military. It has to permeate through. It has to be well, in the bloodstream uh, yeah, that it's, we're taking care yeah. of the of the of the wheel. The, as you as you were saying, uh, of the wheel. Uh, because if those spokes go awry, the whole thing is 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 done. There's, and there's so two yeah, things, it's, uh, it's something special. When I was in army boot camp when we would get smoked, smoked as in physical uh not physical, cannabis. Yeah, no not cannabis. Get smoked as in <laughs> as in as in get tortured for yeah, yeah. an hour or so. Um when every time we did push-ups though every time we go down we say attention to detail and when they say up teamwork's the key 
down, yeah. attention to detail, yeah. up, teamwork's the key. So they literally uh, and physically and mentally beat that those two concepts into you. Because yeah. if you don't have those two, you'll never you'll never be successful in anything, right? You know, especially yeah. especially you're just describing on how much detail goes into from seed to plant and, and how it's so regulated that you can't yeah. miss any little detail. Me and on, a, on, a, on an op, if I miss a detail that is a potential life or death, that, that that's it, game over for me. Right. There's no reset button yeah. for me. So, so, so that, that's the, the different, again, the difference, right. That attention to detail, that t realizing teamwork is the key. Yeah. Well, my Absolutely. father, my father used to say, I would ask him, you know, in Vietnam, but probably in all the theaters that he, that he fought in, um, you know, what, what were his last directives to his, you know, subordinate, particularly officers, you know, at the, at the, at the, at the squad level or whatever, you know, what, 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 what's the last thing you say to him? He said, it was always the same thing. Don't forget nothing. <laughs> that was it don't forget nothing yeah. and uh he said that's what i always told him and he said if they just if they did that they'd be all right you know just cover all the details as you said Absolutely. you know and uh, yeah. so yeah i think uh having employees and, and leaders at the company that are veterans is a key part of what we do so yeah as i mentioned 15 percent of our staff of 85 are, are veterans today um there's a couple other things that we've, we've done too to, to support and, and honor veterans um we created a brand of products, actually. Uh, I was just going to so, ask you about it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So um, you heard uh, my dad say earlier on, you know, my grandfather grew organically um, when he started that farm in, in Massachusetts. So in an homage to him, we decided we're going to do everything organic here as, a, as an organization. And growing organically is really hard. Um, <laughs> and we'll, we'll go into that. But basically, we wanted to create a brand because we were able to produce a line of products using non-organic material. So Green Meadows is the organic brand. The non-organic brand is the General's Aid. Um, so the general's aid, um, we thought, you know, there's the medicinal aid component of it. And then in the military, of course, the aid de camp, right? The number two to the, to the big guy. Um, so the famous aid de camps that have existed throughout history, including, you know, General Patton himself. Uh, my grandfather was an aid de camp. Alexander Hamilton, probably the most famous aid de camp in history yep. of George Washington. So we created this line of products. Uh, it's a, you know, usually cannabis byproducts so bubble hash, rosin, other concentrates right now. Um, some infused pre-rolled joints and things like that. Proceeds from purchases of that line go to veterans charities every quarter, right? So we, we work with different veterans charities and, and every quarter we take, uh, you know, pro, a portion of those proceeds and, and make sure we That's don't. amazing. So just a, a pure kind of financial play there. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, so we launched uh, in January of this year, medical sales. Uh, January 3rd, we launched medical. And in the state of Massachusetts, um, you can offer discounts only on the medical side, right? So um, nothing for recreational, but on medical, you can offer discounts. So any Massachusetts card holder um, that has, uh, you know, their medical card can come in and get a series of discounts. And for veterans specifically, I'm happy to say that Green Meadows uh, offers the most aggressive discounts for veterans in the state, right? So we offer a 30% discount every single day. Now, was that, was that something that the state allowed you, allowed you to do? Like, is that legislature, is that law that so, they're allowing just for veterans? Yes. Yeah. So you, you, you're allowed to, to kind of divvy up different kinds of audiences, right? So I could literally say, Hey, I like your face. I'm giving you 5% off, right? As long as you got your medical card. Um, so different, uh, you know, as, as long as they qualify, right? We right. take in different documentation, DD-214s, all that kind of stuff gotcha. uh, to make sure, you know, they're, they're qualified. But, um, so yeah. But in the adult, you, sorry, Rob, but the recreational, you cannot do that. You yeah. are, you have to, uh, uh it makes sense. So yeah, so, yeah. yeah you, you can choose the discount though. Then as a business, it's up to you to what you want to give, right? $5 off, you know, a dollar for a joint 10 20 percent whatever so we decided for veterans if there's one thing that we as a as a company and a family are going to stand out for it's the ability to enable veterans to get access to this product at the most aggressive rates that they can wow. right? so 
30% discount every day. And then twice a month, uh, we go up to 40% for veterans. And wow. it's um, on the 11th and 22nd of every month, wow. the 11th to tie to uh, Veterans Day in November, and then the 22nd, um, because of the unfortunate stat that, you know, 22 yeah, veterans that's, a day. That's amazing. Um, I wonder last- if that's something that we can put on social media, or will we get, like, banned? No, for I, advertising that. No, no. After the call, I, I, we'll, we'll I can, talk. Okay, I, I can help coach you around that. We'll okay, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll talk <laughs> after. We'll talk deal. after. Um, and then the last thing that I think we do, and and you said it earlier, um, education is such a huge part of cannabis, right? Um, so we are very, very proactive in in educating about the plant, its effects. Um, all, you know, everyone kind of knows about THC, CBD, but there's all those minor cannabinoids in there and things like that. So education. Um, is, is a major part of what we do. And we go and do outreach to all the veterans and organizations within a you know certain mile radius around us. We invite them to the dispensary and do like after hours events to learn about it, open up the floor for questions. Um, we're doing an event in a couple of weeks uh, where a gentleman by the name of, of Bernard McCluskey, who's a, a Vietnam veteran with the Springfield Veteran of the Year in, in 2010. He's coming, he's gonna talk to a bunch of veterans uh, about you know, their experiences with cannabis and do a whole Q&A. So we want to make it this kind of open, you know, collaborative environment so that we can learn uh, both as, you know, veterans uh, in that population, but also just as an industry, right? There's a lot to learn and grow and evolve with just this this product and this plant. Wow. That, I mean, it, so, so on top of it, all that that you do, I also... Uh, you know, part of the uh, Bayou Scent is is over at the Nick Perry's house in Southbridge. Can you go into a little bit about that on on what what that is and what you guys are a part of over there? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Nick Perry's Memorial House here in Southbridge is a transitional home for veterans, right? So um, those that have just gotten out of the service, um, entering back into into civilian life, need a place to to kind of get on their feet. The biggest thing that I think it does is uh, it offers them a mailing address, right? So yes. something to put on a resume and yeah. say, you know, here's where you can find me, right? So um, that's that's probably the number one thing that it does. So yeah, we're on the board over there. Um, our, our staff volunteers over there regularly. So, you know, plowing the driveway, mowing the lawn, fixing the plumbing stuff, right? And that is something that I didn't have to ask anyone on our staff about that, right? They heard that we were a part of this. They heard that we were, were sponsoring this and, and, a, and a part of this organization, and the hands started raising, like, hey, that, what help do they need? That, that's the thing. Veterans, we, we we look out for each other. That's just the way it well, is. And, and, and the know. cool thing about Green Meadows, it wasn't just the veterans, right? Yeah. It's, it's all the non-veteran staff, too. It's like, oh, that's, oh, that's cool, man. I, I want to do that. So that, that's that's been a really kind of rewarding thing that we've done. Well, that's, it's, so, it's so hard to mount a job search or get your life together when you don't have a fixed address, when you don't have right. a room in a, even a room in a boarding house. You know, you're just moving from bunk to bunk and, you know, various shelters. It, it's just hard to kind of get uh, past A to B to, 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 to C and D of getting your life together. You know, you're just going day to day. So this gives them the stability of a fixed address and a, and, and a group of other guys or, 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 or women that they can live with. They have a kitchen, they have an address, they have their bedrooms. And it's just, it's just a place to set up and relax as far as living and, and to mount the, the search for the, the next step in their lives. So wow. that's, that's a great thing to see. And, and just uh, on top of that, just, also thinking about my time when I came home from from war and, you know, the, the, the most the, the Army gives you uh, when I came home at the time back in 2006, they brought us back. We were down Fort Dix, New Jersey. They said, all right, you got two weeks to acclimate back to society and then you're see you later. You know, you're back to go home. And right. part of me was like, oh, really? Just two weeks? I mean, here I here we were in combat theater uh, dealing with all that shit and uh, just two weeks. And I remember, I mean, my heart would race at any 
loud uh, boom. Uh, it could be a tractor trailer going over a speed bump. Like I used to freak, like literally, you know, adrenaline would go up and I'd have to look in that direction. And, you know, it was a little jarring. And, and I remember the VA, they would say, well, you know, during the debrief, hey, if you have any issues, definitely let us know. Uh, that way we can keep you on base and we can get you. I'm like, no one wants to stay on base. And, yeah. and uh, unfortunately, one of, unfortunately, one of our soldiers that ended up speaking up, they not only had to stay, he not only had to stay on base for six months, but they put him with the rear detachment, basically the soldiers that weren't allowed to deploy or deserters or, uh, you know, those pretending to have some sort of medical condition. So they were treated like shit. So it brought him down even more. And that made it worse for yeah. him you know, rather than helping him. So, so this transition house right here, something like this, where if the soldier, you know, once he, uh, he or she get out, um, where they don't have a solid foundation to fall back on, you know, I mean, having the, a house like this, is just amazing. Just so they can come back and, and they're amongst their peers, right? Other right. veterans. So that's it. The, the other, it. Uh, here's the thing. Uh, that's why, you know, when I did that event vet to vet, uh, over at Cleary's is, is because again, we're veterans. We understand each other. We understand the traumas we went through, uh, whether at any theater of war, no matter what, in the end, the trauma is the trauma and we can, we can lift our, each other up essentially, you know, you know, you know that when you mentioned that idea of just sort of like two period, a two week period of decompression, yeah. you know, at Fort Dix, I mean, you think about that and in Vietnam, there were guys, as you know, my, you know, that were coming home, they were leaving, you know, the rice paddies, they were getting on a plane, they were getting discharged at, at LAX and that was it. That was my father-in-law. And, and they were getting spit out when they were getting off the airplane. Too. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, and whereas in world war two, they often say that because of the troop ships, they would come back. They would have like, their unit would be like together after leaving theater, maybe six weeks, yeah. in, maybe in a ship. It's not like on the Riviera, but they're together. They're kind yeah. of uh, right. sort of telling stories, decompressing, imagining what's to come next. And it, without even realizing sort of helping them to the next step, Exactly. they had that whole period. And when you don't have that, that, that you hear that often, you know, so much in, 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 soldiers uh, and others that go through PTSD, that idea, that instant transition, they've yeah. left one theater, one sort of context of, you know, of, uh, of violence and alarm and tension and preparation. And suddenly that whole um, context is gone. Wow. And uh, uh, it, it, without that decompression period, it's really, really hard. And in a small way, Nick Perry's house for those, 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 you know, uh, seven or eight guys that are there, um, that's, uh, that's a help to them. Um, so, and so we give them the period. And then after some uh, weeks or months, hopefully they get their feet under them and then they make room for someone else. So Rob, Rob and Bob, I have, a, I have a little bit of a question for you that just kind of popped into my head and I, I want to pick your brains a little bit on it. Um, first of all, thank you for everything that you guys are doing with that. Right. But have you seen or what have you seen in terms of increased cannabis use um, during the pandemic for the civilian side? And also, have you seen any increases? Because you're, you're, it seems to me like you're tracking the veteran purchases too, because you're giving discounts and all that stuff. So have you seen an increase in that? Because we, we all know that the pandemic and Rona and everything kind of depressed a lot of people, sure. right? And veterans certainly didn't need more of that crap on their minds. So have you seen an increase in use based on what you guys have seen? So um, the short answer is yes. Yeah. Uh, and, and both recreational and medical side, right? So um, first off, during the pandemic, I'll, I'll give the state of Massachusetts uh, a nod here. They actually uh, took the lead in declaring uh, cannabis an essential business. They, oh, they did. 
They did, yeah. So when things were shutting down and things were, you know, getting closed left and right, um, cannabis was one of those things that got to stay open and and offer some kind of outlet. Wow, for the wow, public, right? that's actually, yeah, yeah wow, okay. And, and I can tell you, as a startup business, that was a godsend for us. But <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. So so on the rec side, you know, it's um, yeah. I mean, it, here's the thing. I don't know if I would say it increased during the pandemic necessarily. I would say it's increased from the moment we we decided to legalize as a state and all these states that are following, right? So the pandemic maybe fueled that a little bit uh, because, you know, you had an outlet, you had an, uh, an ability to, to get access to, access to something that could provide, you know, sleep relief, pain relief, or just, you know, a high. Um, so, you know, that, that I think we definitely have seen a little bit, um, considering the fastest growing cannabis segment of users is actually women, 45 plus. Um, so that's as far as the audience that we've seen, definitely um, on the rec side anyway, it's been a lot of, of older women. Um, medical side, it's still newer for us, right? We've only been live with medical for about a month. I can tell you in the last 30 days, we've seen a drastic increase of not only veterans, all types of medical patients, but I think specifically because of what we offer as far as discounts, but also the story and, and the, the family legacy. Um, yeah, veterans makes up the largest percentage of the medical population that we have coming through our doors. One of the things I can add to that, uh, to go back to in Massachusetts, in March of 2020, that's when the state of Massachusetts shut down uh, much of the economy except for essential businesses. And they called medical marijuana would be an essential business. Uh, adult use recreational marijuana would not be. So those who had the, the medical uh, capable stores were able to you know, uh, continue to uh, to address people that had medical cards. Okay. Well, certainly what, what you can expect is number one, medical registration application a lot of people just wanted their weed i'm sure and they went to their their you know cannabis doctor whoever that may be and maybe they tried to say "Eh, i'm not sleeping i gotta have i have my marijuana maybe it's legit maybe it's not but the point is it 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 absolutely shot up the curve went straight up the registrations and they and the thing is that has stayed there where people now have sort of come into the medical space and they realize number one they can save a lot of money they get the discounts that that rob spoke of there's also no taxation in massachusetts there's a 20 percent between local and state and uh, municipality taxes, it's about a 20% difference between what a medical uh, cardholder pays for the same marijuana that an adult use recreational uh, user pays. So there's that as well. That's a practical savings. So that's certainly a part of what drives that uh, that rise in registrations for medical cards. But I think that answers your question a little bit that there was an, up, there was an uptick um, for the right reasons in the sense, right in quotes, in the sense that people that needed it for whatever reasons, to sleep, right. for pain management, to, to help them just integrate in, in, into, into their household life, whatever it is. And I, I'm, listen, I'm an older guy. I can tell you all the reasons why marijuana in the wrong hands for the wrong people is not, you know, everything in moderation is great. Well, yeah. but the point is, the point is it's another Avenue. There's, there's opioids, there's aspirin, there's whiskey, whatever it might be. There's, there's the love of your partner that all helps, but if cannabis helps a little bit too, there, let, let's put that in the mix. You know, that's really where I, where it begins and ends for me. Let's add it to the, to the arsenal of things that, that maybe can help. Um, and, and it clearly people responded to that during the pandemic and still have. <coughs> wow. Yeah, it's uh, part of me is speechless because one, I mean, uh, there's so much uh, truth in what you're what you guys are saying and and just the whole model of your business uh, around uh, the veteran community that really, I mean, speaks volume, uh, not just because, yeah, you guys carry the patent name, but you guys are really uh, you guys are really um, carrying his legacy also and what he believed in and what he uh, he strived for. 
You know, and, and we're not the only one. You see it, fortunately, so different. You mentioned about, and my dad was certainly one of the ones who came back from Vietnam, baby killer, spat on, all yeah. that stuff. That's not a myth. That happened oh, no, a that lot. Happened. Yeah. And I've always, this is a story Rob's heard me tell it a thousand times. In the span of my life, when I was a little boy, uh, at, just after Vietnam ended, you know, I was not a little boy. I was in early high school. Um, and I saw that period where... Even my father, as proud as he was, and people we knew, they kept their heads down as far as military and all that. Though I'm talking about 73, 74, 75, 70, right after the Vietnam War sort of wound down, you know, uh, in those years. And now I'm, I'm, it's such a great thing to, I don't care what your politics are, who, who you, you know, red, blue, whatever you might be, however you feel about the, 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 the battles themselves, the wars themselves, whether Afghanistan, Iraq, whatever else is on the horizon, <laughs> if you see soldiers and by god if you see law enforcement at the bus station at the airport on the street corner you feel you you, you feel pride in them mm-hmm. you don't you, you don't and that wasn't always the case it wasn't always the case you know military would, would kind of stay in the shadows you know and, and get out of their get out into their civvies as quick as they could you know and and thank god those days are gone that we just it, it, there is respect there we've there said is it respect. we've said it on the show a million times we've seen a big transition between how the veterans were treated then and how they are now like they're revered as they should Unimaginable. be Unimaginable. Yeah. They, they should be revered what my problem is is i'm seeing kind of a reversal in law enforcement well now law enforcement <laughs> a lot of, oh, a lot well. of a lot of law enforcement now hold their head down right. and try to stay out of the uh, you know yeah. in that shadow that's why I, I mean when i wrote that article for havoc journal you know the the title of it was law enforcement treatment eerily is reminiscent of vietnam war veterans right you know i mean i mean i cannot that is so spot on and i didn't even think of that but obviously that whole idea about you know blue lives matter you can't say blue lives matter that's not right you know yeah. and, yeah. and you know that idea was it is so perverse i think we're coming out of it a little bit now we went through this whole spasm after the george floyd episode and all that and the, the society had just had to just just went through this kind of uh, you know this very contorted reaction you know very justified i don't even want to go there as far as all that but the point was the the pendulum got crazy and now we've got to get it right back where that you cannot be condemning an entire sort of cultural force in your society for the for good in law enforcement uh and and put them in in the same category that soldiers coming home from vietnam in 1970 felt that's just that's just an abomination and we've got to get away from that there's a great i mean uh saying and and there's a couple sayings that come to mind is is you know one of them uh you know uh tough times create tough men Tough men create soft times. Soft times create soft men, and that's like the cycle that keeps right. going through. <laughs> right now, exactly right it. now, right now, we're at the soft times, and I'm hoping the tough men that were there at the tough times, like all of us, uh, continue uh, continue that that <laughs> continue that fight, though, because essentially, you know, the warrior class of 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 America, whether it's law enforcement, uh, military, and all that. Um, it, it's, it's one of those things that n- nobody respects them until the enemy's at the gates. For right. example, when the uh, boathouse and speed bump did that thing over at Boston Marathon bombing, everybody <laughs> was like, holy shit, you know, we so love our blue. And, you know, you had about close to fifteen to 20,000 SWAT operators in Watertown. Yeah. Uh, hunting those two fucking assholes yeah. down, and and it was like people had the flags up. It was amazing. We love police. Thank you so much. You saved all our lives. And then it's like you know, swing one way, swing the other, swing one way, swing the other. And and 
you know, I, I always blame our profession too, because we're, we're, we've always kind of kept everything in house quiet because we don't like to advertise a lot. And that's, and, and with modern social media, you know, I think law enforcement was behind on that to kind of keep up with that because so much misinformation is out there, i.e. one being like for cannabis and, and uh, some yeah. others, uh, law enforcement, even military, there's so much misinformation out there that if you don't get ahead of it, you're already behind the eight ball on it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so that's, that's the biggest thing with, you know, the way I see things in terms of the pendulum swinging and all that, where it's, it's going to take us tough men, quote unquote, to keep that line held until the pendulum swings back the other way. Because if that line falls, society's going to fall. They don't really, I mean, they've already re- realized it in Portland. They've already New York City. Yeah. They already realized in New York City. Just this morning, I read another New York police officer was shot who was off duty. Uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, down there, they're being hunted. It's open season and it's awful. And, yeah. um, uh, and it's not, it's not an accident. It comes from some yeah. of the groundwork that was laid by this, the, the people just going too far the other way and just, yeah. just forgetting, you know, my grandfather, Rob's great grandfather, the, the well-known world war II general. I mean, he was, you know, he was always looking to, you know, <laughs> he was always looking to, to, you know, he to get into a fight somewhere, but he used to just really go off on, on, you know, certainly between the wars, between World War One and World War Two, he would say, you know, when, when the, uh, the military was re- reduced in force yeah. and, you know, it was just, it was just a shell and the Nazis were revving up and, and the U S wasn't ready. Um, and he said, you know, there's, there's, there's so much of society. Uh, they, you know, they, they hide behind the military, but we, I think we could throw law enforcement in the same equation. They hide behind them in times of war or in times of need, and they neglect them in times of peace. And it's the oldest story in, in the uh, world. Um, and you know, you don't know what you got till it's gone, as the old song says. That, and um, it's 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 something that those that are maintaining, despite this period, that are just doing their job, showing up, punching the clock, getting it done, um, and, and going out on there on 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 the beat or the rounds or whatever it may be. Uh, that's that what that gets you through. Yeah, to the next phase where the, where where it levels out again. You know, so we'll so that's there. that's that's actually now what we gotta we gotta touch on General Patton before my friends start stabbing me. They're, they're, <laughs> <laughs> because well, we, I'll tell I'm tell you. You, well, you mentioned a story. I mean, I just gotta mention it. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Like, you you heard um, explosions when you came back. And yeah, you, yeah. You know, you'd be real. My grandfather. You know, the the, the great tough World War II General George S. Patton. Well, after World War One, he came home. He was 33 when he came home. Yeah. Um, and he came home as a lieutenant colonel. And then he got dropped back down because they reduced then to a major, and he stayed a major for 18 years. Holy shit! Because because in, <laughs> in those days the military it wasn't a meritocracy. Yeah. You just stayed on until the guys up in front died, you know, or retired. <laughs> okay. You to move up. So anyway, he came home, and he liked to drink. And so during Prohibition, he made beer, and uh, so he was making beer. I think they were stationed in, in Texas or, or 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 Kansas somewhere that was hot, and he was making beer. And he had the beer bottles out there in the garage up uh, behind their house. And in the heat of the day, they began to explode. <laughs> and so he said, my, my grandmother told us she's sitting next to him. And all of a sudden, he hits the deck in the kitchen. You know, I said, what the? Because he thought it was, you know, you know incoming. incoming. And it was, it, was, it was beer bottles blowing up in the garage. Wow, in the that is awesome. <laughs> so so that, that brings me. So, so, he, so he really was, uh, because it was, it was funny, like even, even modern times with the drawdown of the forces, uh, yeah. like us in the military, the warriors, we, we knew that's a bad idea. Like we, the thing is that we know that you don't want to draw down just because now we're coming to peacetime military because when shit hits the fan, guess what? Now we got to ramp back up. You got to play catch up and we got to play catch up with everything. I mean, look what's going on right now. Um, it's, it's, it's amazing to me. So, so even back then, general Patton kind of, 
had that mentality that you never draw down the force. No, he he very much experienced that. As I say, he came back um, in World War One, and uh, uh, he you know he'd been uh, very badly wounded. He wanted to distinguish service cross there. I mean, he had he had all sort of the the, the you know the, the pride elements. You know, yeah, he yeah, came yeah. back, they, they'd won, uh, and then he got dropped back to major, and the army was basically mothballed. Yeah. You know, and um, but what happened in that period? A lot of the. Uh, sort of the the officer corps and all the way through but the officer corps really got together these career guys eisenhower was one of them others macarthur was there they got together and literally in their basements playing cards or whatever they began to just game plan out scenarios they began to my grandfather used to make tank models you know because he had done tanks in world war one that's he you know he was the first leader of the of the first american tank corps um and so he would have tank models. He loved to build models. He built ships and stuff, and he would build these war games on um, on, on sort of these um, dioramas in, in his basement. And again, thinking about what if, and nobody else was. So the government wasn't. You know, the legislature, the Congress wasn't. No, they never do. You just had a group of of military men, career men, that just began to sort of think as a profession almost. Yeah. You know, to, to they tried to stay sharp. Well, as best well they could. it reminds and, me a lot of like what we do in law enforcement. Yeah, like the the, the what ifs, yeah. the, the training, we the scenarios. Just like uh, you know, our SWAT team assaulting a whole building. It's the what if. It's the Mumbai attack that might be coming that we want to make sure we're prepared for. That legislators or whoever, for some reason, do not, or not for some reason, probably because of their own agendas, but do not have that forward thinking where they got to think, you know, we play the long game, right? In the military, in law enforcement, we play the long game. We're not, we're not in it for tomorrow's success. We're in it for the the success 10 years from now where I, you know, like an article I wrote uh, also on Havoc Journal's first, second, third order effects. That's what we look at. We look at the long game and that's the way it needs to happen. And because that's why China's at the position they are now, that's why Russia's in the position that they are now because they play the long game. Where right. our legislators over here, they play the every four year game or, or the every two year game, and and that's right. about it. That's all they care about. So so it's it, it's actually nice to hear because sometimes you know you hear you hear uh, you know the, the, the some other sides that were like, oh, General George Patton was a was a warmonger and he wanted to always fight and always this and always that. But the reality of it is, he was planning for the what ifs. Yeah, I mean, I could give you just having, you know, I can give you all of, you know, the 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 warts of the man. He had a lot of, you know, he was he was a complicated guy. Oh, yeah. He had yeah. some prejudices. He was, you know, he came of a world that would not be the world that we, you know, might 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 like today. But that's the way he was wired. He 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 built himself into this into this figure. He said, "This is going to be my leadership style, and I'm going to have this style." But he gets a lot of um. And again, I can give you chapter and verse on on, on, on stuff that was wrong with him, you know, yeah, and all the yeah. rest. But but you have to look at him and you say, for example, in World War II, people said, well, and he made many mistakes in that war. But if you look at the statistics of the Third Army, which was the great army that he, you know, when after Normandy, when they when they that whole southern end around, you know, when they went up uh, across the Rhine and he led that whole that whole sort of um, uh, end run, which was very much based on cavalry, how cavalry used to act. Yeah. You know, cavalry wasn't it wasn't sort of the shock and awe, the head head on attack. Cavalry was yeah. maneuver. Yeah. It would get around behind. If you look at what the Third Army did, they captured more enemy than any other comparable force throughout the entire war. Now, why did they do that? Because he got behind. people surrender when there's no escape. Yeah, they, exactly. they surrender when they can't run away. He got behind them and he took more prisoners than any. So I always say, and also he wrote letters, for example, that people don't know about. He wrote letters from Europe, but he was in the middle of whatever engagements he was in. He wrote 
the Pentagon. He wrote, and any leadership he could find, George C. Marshall, chief of staff of the Army, he said this strategic bombing of cities, indiscriminate bombing of Dresden and these civilian cities is making it harder for us. Yeah. You're killing people, and it just makes them hate us so much that they don't they won't ever surrender. People don't realize that he did have this side, which wasn't just like kill them all. Yeah. You know, he really did have a sense of what works. And if, if killing works, then that's what we got to do. But if we can capture them, that's better. If we can avoid killing their civilian centers, let's not do that because it just makes them fight harder. Right. Um, uh, so these kinds of practicalities were very much a part of him. And uh, listen, he he was he, he, he you know, he he had a very bloody mentality sometimes, as he said, war is a simple, uh, a brutal business and it takes simple, brutal men to wage it sometimes. <laughs> yeah. you know? he, could, he could certainly play that role, <laughs> but he really did have a little more method to his madness than, than people thought. It wasn't all just like, you know, kill as many as you can and call well, it a that, day. That's the thing. It's, it's, it's like, uh, you know, I, I was reading General Mattis's book uh, a while back and I was reading on how he tackled uh, some of the theaters in Afghanistan. And I forget exactly which one, but it was a technique that he used, which I found, I found ingenious. But again, though, though these are men of history. They read history. They read historical tactics. And what they do is they apply them to modern warfare, which John right. Patton did the same thing. He used uh, Native American strategies in his battle plan in order to relay the communication through the mountains as the Marines were moving forward. And to me, I was like, holy shit, that's ingenious. So he, he took, again, old tactics and put it into modern use. Yes. And that got the results that needed to, and, and to me, you know, men like that really are beyond the times because they think like that, you know, they think of the what ifs, they think of, they do all these battle rehearsals, dress rehearsals, all this stuff. I'll give you actually another story of my wife. She, uh, she was active duty army in the JAG Corps. And uh, I make fun of her for that all the time, but, uh, <laughs> but she was JAG and, uh, and when they were down uh, where she was uh, stationed down in Virginia, her, the army unit that she was tasked under uh, transportation unit had boats, they had ships. The, the army actually had a small Navy. And if you recall like 10 years ago, or maybe a little less that massive earthquake in Haiti that happened. So when that earthquake hit in Haiti, the uh, brigade commander at the time took the boats to south of Miami to do a quote-unquote training exercise. And it just so happened he miraculously was in the area to help get supplies into Haiti, but he knew what he was doing. Right. He strategically yeah. placed, again, forward thinking, thinking ahead, because he knew at some point a humanitarian crisis mission is going to come up, and he wants to be in position for the right moment when that happens so he can jump right on it. And it's it, it's as you, it's a combination of preparation and looking at history and and what you can learn as General Mattis's book uh, explained, and then also the instincts that go with it. You know, it's a combination of God-given instincts for whatever endeavor you're after, and it, his was the military, and General Mattis, and yours is law enforcement, um, combined with education. Yeah. And, and an appreciation of the past. General Patton, for example, he would use, between the wars, he, he, he traveled Europe a little bit. He was sure there would be another war. He said, there's going to be another war in the, on this continent in my lifetime. Um, and he toured with his wife a lot of the old Roman battlefields, and he was particularly interested. And, he, and, and in, in World War II, he carried these volumes with him, Caesar's memoirs and things like that. What were the best routes that the Roman army used crossing uh, Europe? He said, I mean, that's, oh, they'll, know. Yeah. they'll know the best roads. Yeah. They'll know the best valleys that you can get through, because 
because they were doing it on foot. So he really did try to incorporate deep past with what he could learn with his own instincts. Um, and again, he, uh, he really he was gifted in that area. He, you know, he, he just was. And uh, I mean, we have a before uh, the Battle of the Bulge, before the Great Invasion, um, uh, a counterattack, pardon me, you know, in uh, December of 1944, when, you know, Hitler had that last um, yep. Yep. that last attack. And, and, and as General Patton said, he wrote home and he said, they're attacking. He said, but I, he said, nobody believes me. But it's like if you're fishing and you bring that fish in and the last before it's, it's done, <laughs> it has one last fight. He said, they're done. This is their last effort. And he actually wanted to pull back and let them come far. Yeah. and then circle behind him and just end it right there he yeah. said let him come yeah let him come so they didn't do that but you have in his diary days before it was uh, discovered that they were coming onto bastone and making that big attack through the ardennes he said something's going on wow. something's going on to my north he said i'm going to start putting the word out that we may have to make a shift in uh, in in direction of what we're doing that's amazing and that's what happened so these little things you, you don't know where they come from but they're not accidental you know they come from study and they come from instinct so, so <laughs> Rob, I think you've answered all the questions that the guys had in just these uh, these last few minutes because it pretty much covers everything that we that we wanted to talk about. So, so before we uh, we wrap up, if there's anything else, Rob, Bob, you guys want to give out to the veteran community about Green Meadows, you got a couple minutes. Go right ahead, and then uh, and then what we'll do is after the show, uh, we'll we'll talk a little more offline. Okay, so sure, floor's yours. You minute or two, whatever you want to say. Rob, talk a little bit about you know upcoming things that we're doing and and, and et cetera. Yeah, sure. So. Um... What I would say is, is any veteran or anyone in this area that wants to come and, and see how Green Meadows Cannabis has grown, how we operate, uh, what we are as a family and as, and as a business, you know, our, our doors are always open, uh, you know, and uh, it, it's one of those things that, yeah, we're, we're the owners of the company, but we're also here, right? We didn't want to just, you know, slap a name on it and say, all right, let's, let's hope we collect a paycheck on this, right? We, we want to be a part of this and an integral part of this and, and represent uh, everything you know, with our, with our hearts, uh, as far as what we're doing for, for veterans, um, and for the community around us. Right. So, um, the other thing I'll say is that, um, the cannabis itself that we grow and produce here is extremely high quality. Um, and, and that's something to really be proud of as well. Um, again, the, the, the name of the company is Green Meadows. We wanted it to be an homage to our family and, and, and our history here in Massachusetts specifically. Uh, but we didn't want to just slap patent on the jar and call it patent pot and say, you know, come and get it. Right? There's, there's more to it than that. Um, so, um, yeah, whether you're a medical patient or you're just, you know, a rec recreational guest looking to get high, you know, we've got products for all kinds here. And, uh, and you know, I'm, I'm here five days a week and, and I'm happy to meet anyone who wants to come say hello. Yeah, I always make the joke. I said, with, with, with that, we're a family-owned company. There's no man behind the man. You're stuck with me and Rob and the rest of us, you know. And uh, uh, But we're really proud of, of our team, and we're really proud of the product we're growing. Uh, and it really is a three-phase thing that we're trying to do. We, within the company, with the hiring and, and, and the respect that we accord all the veterans on our, on our team. Uh, then there's the community that, that we try to represent well and, and be a great partner of. And then what we can do charitably, like Nick's House and some other endeavors that we're doing. Uh, working with the, with the Woosox um, organization, their charitable organization of the uh, of the Worcester uh, Woosox who are 
Uh, we're working with their charitable wing, the Woosox organization, to do things for vets. So there's, it's really sort of a three-pronged approach within the company, within the community, and then on a larger scale. Um, but it begins and ends with having a good product um, that's well-tested and uh, fairly priced and discounted for vets and for medical patients. And come on out and check us out. You know, sure, I'll, I'll, I'll pitch it, but uh, we would <laughs> welcome anybody. I'll, I'll, the last thing I'll say is, one of the reviews we got, and we got a ton of them on Google that really seems like like what we're doing. But one group came in and they said, you know, we're not we're not users. We're an older couple. I don't know who they are. I just read their review. But I, we walked into the Green Meadows dispensary, and even though we're not users, we know nothing about it, we're older, we were welcomed. We were explained what we were looking at. We did not feel that we were being rushed out of there because we told them we weren't buying. And it was a, it was a classy place, and they treated us really, really well. Oh, and I cool. said, that's the best review that, that we could have had. Yeah, and we didn't get five cool. cents out of them, yeah, you know, but cool. it, was, it was the best review. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. But wow. hey. All right, you guys hang out for a minute. We're just going to wrap the show up, and we'll be right back. Dude. There you go. What a good group of guys we just had on, huh? Yeah, yeah. Talk about an honor. What an honor. Yeah, just hearing some of the stories of uh, of, uh, the general and the family legacy just carrying it. Everything the family's doing, man, to help veterans, to help cops, everything. I mean, I I couldn't be more proud to have two two people on the show. Thank you, guys. So, Project Sapient, guys. Check us out, projectsapient.org. Shoot us an email, projectsapient2020 at gmail.com. We want to say thanks to worldwide supporters and listeners. DCD Automotive, which is the Bach Group in Massachusetts. Till Valhalla, AAA Police Supply, Havoc Journal, our partners at the weekly Havoc Podcast. Second Mission, Live Boston, OD Kit, Eagle Eye Firearms, Gun Track, Fit Cops, 22 Mohawks, and Joint Operations. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok under Police Podcast. We love you. Stay safe. Stay safe, man.